my journey to a living baby. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. When I came home from the hospital and began my mourning process after losing grace, one of the first things I did was open my Bible. I wasn't really looking for answers. I was looking for a familiar friend. God was there and I needed him more than ever before in my life. I immediately went to the place I had left off the day before Grace died, Job 38. I cannot tell you how powerful it was to realize God had put me there in that chapter, enduring sadness I'd never experienced before in my life, because up until that chapter in the story, God had allowed Satan to take away everything Job had, his source of income, his home, his health, but more importantly, he lost his 10 children. Satan had killed every last one of them. I connected with Job on a level I wish I didn't. Up until that chapter in the story, God hadn't shown up. And still, Job never rejected God. But in chapter 38, God spoke. I shivered. And it's funny, when he finally spoke, God didn't explain himself. He didn't tell Job that Satan was the one causing him all of this pain. He didn't tell Job that he was merely allowing Satan control in the situation. No, he just poetically tells Job about the details of his creation on earth, down to the goats and ostriches that God loves and cares for. And that love humbled poor Job. After everything he'd been through, Job realized that God was still a loving God. And Job asked for forgiveness. Wow. And you know what came next? It's so good it brings tears to my eyes, especially now. It's said that after Job prayed, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. It gets better. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. In my own utter despair, I gained a flicker of hope. He'd given me hope that he'd bless me again. I had hope in him, even though I hated what God had allowed to occur. And much later, I would go on to cry out to him in anger. The year after Grace died got progressively worse over time, as shock wore off and I truly began to mourn. But hope remained. Surviving. The first six weeks after Grace's birth were a daze. My body and mind were in such a state of shock that I didn't really know what was happening. My brain turned off and my emotions didn't kick in. I was blank. Coffee, my life's one luxury for which I'd longed for nine long months, didn't taste like anything. I couldn't cook, exercise, talk, or go to the store. My breast milk came in and I didn't have a baby to feed. My body was so confused. Between adrenaline from the shock of tragic loss and the crazy roller coaster ride of postpartum hormones, I was most certainly not myself. When Jeff went back to work, I would cry all day and then suffer migraines from all the crying. But God was there even still. He was present through people, friends, acquaintances, even strangers. From the moment we got home from the hospital, actually before we even left, Flower arrangements, personalized jewelry, books, and heartfelt cards started flowing in. 
With cards and Facebook messages and emails, we literally got hundreds of each. A lot of times I couldn't even process what they said. I also didn't really realize who sent the cards, but I felt comforted by their presence. Some days, going to the mailbox was the only thing keeping me going. People in different churches in different states, friends of friends, all were sending us encouragement. Several others sent money and gift cards. Some offered to do our shopping for us, and our small group from church made us meals. We allowed people to pour into us when we needed their support to stay standing. And in December, only days before Christmas, we needed that support more than ever. Another attack. I think that by Christmas time, many had assumed the worst of my mourning would be over. After all, it had been six weeks. But as you know, I'd been in shock and hadn't even started the process of sorting out my emotions. All I'd done for six weeks was breathe all day long and then cry myself to sleep every night. Well, on December 20th, I began what I thought was my first postpartum menstrual period. I was slightly and oddly glad at what seemed to be the return of my fertility. But within hours, gladness moved to fear as the bleeding became scarily excessive. I called the doctor's office only to hear them tell me that it was only a heavy period. I called again the next day, clearly worried, and still, they were not. The fourth day, I felt so weak and lightheaded from ever-increasing blood loss that I couldn't even sit up. I was on the floor, curled up in the fetal position, when the doctors called back, finally convinced that I needed an ultrasound fast. The smell of ultrasound gel in the cold, dark room drummed up terrible memories of November 3rd, and I became feverishly gripped by fear. I was so terrified and crying that I couldn't even tell the ultrasound technician what was going on. Jeff had to explain the situation. And unfortunately, the ultrasound showed something terrible. When I delivered the placenta after delivering Grace, somehow large pieces of it had remained inside me. Clearly, my body thought it needed to get rid of them and had been basically bleeding me to near death. Had I continued to bleed at that rate, I don't doubt that I eventually would have died. I would need an immediate DNC, a surgical procedure where they scrape the inside of your uterus. If I had wanted to begin to heal emotionally, this is quite the setback. For one, retained placenta can cause horrible uterine infection, and infection can cause scarring. And a DNC on an infected uterus can cause even worse scarring. Your uterus can be ruined. The ability to get pregnant can be taken away. We were well aware of this, and it was my last thought as I was put under general anesthesia. How, oh God, can you continue to allow more and more heartache? When I awoke and was puking, my doctor told me that there was no infection. We had to wait several weeks, though, for the biopsy for what was in there. It could be cancer. It could be anything. I then moved into a state of panic. I had thought we were over the worst of the tragedy, but then the new fear for my health had taken me by surprise. I spent much of my time just praying that God would stop me from allowing myself to slip into such a dark depression that I couldn't come out. Thankfully, when the biopsy came back, it had not been cancer. It was indeed placenta. But our fears about what the DNC had done to my uterus remained for many months. But there was always that teeny tiny hint of hope. We knew God would bless us again. We simply knew it down deep in our souls. 
God had placed this unquenchable desire to be parents to living children. Stepping forward. And so, only two months after Grace went on to be with the Lord, we started trying again for her little brother or sister. We knew things would be easier to endure if we had another baby to nurture. And in March, we got pregnant again. In utter weakness, I didn't allow myself to get excited. This baby would be due in November like Grace had been. It was eerie. But this one went on to be home with the Lord too. I didn't think God would allow me to go through more pain after losing Grace. But I didn't think more pain was even possible. But it was, and it caught me completely off guard. It was the death of yet another one of my children. I can honestly say that I was walking in misery for the next few months. I was in so much pain that any little thing that anyone said had the potential to deeply wound me. I didn't want to see people, especially mothers with newborn babies. We even stopped going to our small group Bible study that we loved. Everything reminded me of grace. Everything reminded me of what we'd lost. And I was always prepared and waiting for another dose of pain and new tragedy. My body and mind were living in anxiety, always expecting the worst. Honestly, when we bought our house and began the building process in May, I wasn't even thrilled about this momentous occasion. I just wanted to be a mom. We found out the builder accepted our offer the day I learned I wasn't pregnant that month. But in June, we got pregnant again. This pregnancy, which I was trying desperately to keep with progesterone supplements and bed rest, I even missed Jeff's brother's wedding because of it, was even more difficult than the other when it too was lost. I knew my purpose on earth is to bring God glory, and I knew God had planted this desire in my heart to bring him glory through being a mother. But I told God that if I didn't get to be a mom to a living child, I really didn't know if I wanted to live at all. After that second miscarriage in July, we wondered if we had a serious problem, that maybe there was something new causing these losses. While I was still in the process of miscarrying, I made our first appointment with a fertility specialist. We had already done genetic testing on Grace, even though we knew the cause of her death had been the cord entanglement, and as we expected, the results had shown that she had been perfectly healthy in every way. They'd done every blood test in the world on me, too. Thyroid was good, no blood clotting issues, no hormonal imbalances, no nutritional deficiencies, nothing. So the doctor suggested, much to our horror, that there could be something physically wrong with my uterus, that maybe when I had the surgery to remove the retained placenta in December, perhaps the surgeon had been too rough in there and caused scarring. I already had symptoms that hinted at scarring, making it all the more likely. This to me was the worst case scenario. If scarring was covering much of the surface of the uterus, a baby could never implant deeply enough to live past the first trimester. I might never be able to have kids again. Something within me told me this wasn't right, but I wanted to be sure. So we agreed to move forward with semi-invasive testing to see if there was something going on in there. I knew God was going to show us a miracle. Should I allow doctors to dampen my faith? After some serious prayer, I canceled the procedure the day before it was scheduled. But the next month, I was disheartened once again, and I went through with it. And praise be to the God of all, the procedure showed that there was nothing wrong with my uterus. 
All the while, through every one of these trials, God was building my faith in him. A few days after that miscarriage, my dad called and told us he was taking us out to a nice restaurant. He said we were declaring in Jesus' name that the spirit of death was gone. We all prayed together and agreed. Have you ever noticed how God shows up when your hope in anything else has gone? When he's all you have left? He waits for that moment to display his power. This is when it starts to get good. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Believing God With the loss of grace and my miscarriages, I realized that God doesn't cause death. As a matter of fact, he sent his son to conquer death once and for all. He is a loving God. But sometimes God allows Satan and the powers of darkness in this world to attack us and attack our tiny unborn babies. The thing was, I never realized before how much power we have in Jesus' name to overcome the enemy and defeat his plots against us. But my faith had to be strengthened. It was first strengthened through prayer. Throughout much of my life, I had sort of figured that we were supposed to pray, but that it didn't make much of a difference because God was going to do what he was going to do anyway. Of course, that was until I started to read and think about what God actually says about prayer. For one, he says in James that the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. I must have read that verse a million times before, and it never dawned on me that the power in the verse was the in-faith part. I had spent so much time just begging and pleading for God to give us a healthy pregnancy and a living child at the end, but I didn't truly believe God would definitely answer my prayer. It's funny how as Christians we're called believers, but so often we're filled with disbelief. We needed to pray in faith that God would remove whatever was causing the death of our unborn children. We needed to actually believe God is all-powerful. I could go on and on with verses that say the same thing about faith and prayer. From his word, we know he was going to heal us. Psalms 103, 2-3 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. There were a lot of people who asked me in one way or another how I could still love or trust a God who had allowed me so much hurt, so much death and loss. Some went so far as to mention that children may not be God's will for some people. By the way, to attempt to tell anyone God's will for his or her life is a pretty bold move. Don't do it unless it's scripturally founded. Thankfully, I had found in God's word some exciting stuff regarding our offspring, that having kids is indeed his will. We know that in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1, he commands us to be fruitful and increase in number. Children were his beautiful idea, and he didn't just allow us to have them, he commanded us to. The Bible is full of verses in which God calls children a blessing, a reward, and our inheritance. Having children is clearly God's design for us, His will. I begin reading these verses daily, writing them out and taping them to every surface of our house, memorizing them, speaking them aloud. 
Psalm 113.9 says, He settles the barren woman in her house as a happy mother of children. Psalm 127.3-5 says, Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Psalm 128.3 says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. There are lots more. And you know what else I found in his word? I found that every single barren woman in the Bible conceived and gave birth to a living baby. You just don't see sustained barrenness and miscarriage in the Bible. They are not his will. With scripture, faith, and constant prayer under my belt, I was ready to believe without doubt that God had healed us of anything that could cause miscarriage and that he was about to bless us with a generation of godly offspring. I'd begun praying like I'd never prayed before. I began believing in God's power like I'd never believed before. I continued worshiping God for being the awesome, loving creator that he was and had always been in my life. A year complete. It was by October that I had truly turned a corner. We were nearing Grace's birthday, and instead of being depressed and perpetually teary as I had expected to be, I was actually feeling joy from time to time. I was able to thank God for blessing us with our nine precious months with Grace and was genuinely thankful for the life he'd given me, a husband who was perfect for me, a new job, a freelancing job I loved, and overwhelming peace and confidence in him. My soul longed and cried out to God for a baby, but I had faith that a baby was coming. In mid-October, Jeff was supposed to be a groomsman in a wedding in Minnesota, and the day before we were to fly out, I had a breakdown. I thought my emotional wounds had healed, but a year of mourning had worn me down and it all came flooding in. And I was bitter that an entire year had passed since we lost Grace and all I seemed to have accomplished that year was to get through the worst of my mourning. I felt like I'd just been forced to waste a full year of my life. I feared that the happiness of a wedding would cause me to be jealous of the newlyweds' innocence. They'd probably get pregnant on their first try, never lose a baby, never experience this kind of pain. But Jeff, being the loving husband he is, prayed with me, let me sob, patiently listened to me, and expressed my pain. He's such a good listener. And that was the last time I was deeply sad. We went on to the wedding and I felt genuinely happy for the couple. And I felt healthy and energetic for the first time in a year. I'd lost all of my pregnancy weight plus some. We'd been eating even healthier, exercising. I'd also quit caffeine cold turkey the month before and felt somehow very alive despite my lack of coffee. I was able to truly enjoy the wedding. When we got back, our time and thoughts were filled with moving out of our rented townhome and into our newly built, long-awaited first house. I wept as I packed up Grace's room, folding the tiny pink dresses, taking down her soft floral crib bedding, opening the memory box that held a lock of her blonde hair and her footprints and her death certificate. But I was beyond ready to move out of the place that brought us so much pain and move on to a new home that I was confident would see many blessings. Before the floors had been installed in the new house, we had written verses of God's many promises on the floors as we declared his welcome presence there and dedicated the home to his glory. 
we were thrilled to move into a place that was associated only with joy. On October 31st, we moved our stuff out of that townhouse and into our new home. We then slept each night at Jeff's parents as we anxiously awaited for our loan to go through so that we could sign the papers, become official homeowners, and finally be allowed to live in our grand new home. Grace's birthday came when we were still waiting to close on our house. It was a gorgeously sunny fall day and we couldn't help but feel a sense of relief that we'd made it through the worst year of our lives. We were blessed, even though our little girl wasn't with us, even though we weren't celebrating her birthday with her. We visited our new house that evening and little did I know, I was ovulating. Technically we were trespassing since we didn't own it yet, but heck, our bed was there. And so, on the very last day of a very long year that had been filled with the stifling pain of death, God blessed us with new life. Yes. Somewhere in the blur of happy days to follow, we closed on our house, and Jeff carried me over the threshold. It seemed very much like a fairy tale or an old Kodak commercial. Now, I can't say that pregnancy wasn't on my mind or that I wasn't the hormonal obsessive woman that I always was in the post-ovulation two-week wait because I was, for goodness sakes, trying to get pregnant. But I pushed the thought to the back of my mind determined not to let my joy be stolen from me by worry. One evening, one and a half weeks after Grace's birthday, I picked up a box of two pregnancy tests from Target. To have waited so long to buy them was amazing for me because usually I would stock up on tests and start testing days before I could sensibly get a positive result. This time I was going to be stress-free. One test would be enough to tell me yes or no. I slept soundly all night and even woke up late that cheerfully sunny Sunday morning. Jeff started breakfast downstairs as I walked to the bathroom, ripped open that test and took it. Waiting patiently, I repeated scriptures against fear and couldn't help but just praise Jesus and say his name over and over. It took less than the time limit for a beautiful pink, you know it's my favorite color for good reason, line to pop up in the test window. No sooner than my eyes sent the good news to my brain, I yelled to Jeff, this is really positive. It wasn't a questionable line like it had been in previous cycles. It didn't show up late and I wasn't using the most sensitive test on the market. The line was more clear and perfect than it had ever been before. We were pregnant and this baby was going to stick. And wow, how crazy that we'd conceived on November 4th. Jeff and I praised the Lord. I took the other test in the box just to see the pretty line get darker and we began a new journey of faith now believing that God could bring this baby to our arms, full term, healthy, alive. 